It is a resurrection morning. <laughs> it was wonderful. Thank you for that. Well, I want to begin our time this morning by having us take our Bibles and turn in them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we had a great time in our early service just talking about the resurrection, the week of the resurrection and all that went up <clears throat> to that time from Mark's gospel. In our time here in this service, I want to begin our time at least in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> this is a very important passage as we think about this day on the Christian calendar, but probably most importantly as we think about it concerning this day in reference to our spiritual lives, right? This day has no meaning really for the world around us. They, they may celebrate Easter as some kind of holiday, but, but it's all about them. It's all about doing things with fictitious animals that don't lay eggs. And so the world is rather confused about this day at the very least. But God is not, and those whom he inspired to bring us his word are not. And the Apostle Paul, who has given us 1 Corinthians, is bringing to mind essential truth for the Christian life. And this essential doctrine that he's talking about is by way of reminder, and he's doing it so that these Christians, so that Christians in general, and particularly those whom he's writing to here in Corinth, and by Christian, we don't mean just people who say the word Christian and attach Christian to their life, but we mean those who believe upon Jesus Christ as their Savior, those who have repented of sin, those who have turned to Christ, turned from sin to God, and have now been given in Christ forgiveness of sin. So that's who we're talking about. He's writing to those so that they would understand who, who they are spiritually and how then they are to conduct themselves in the world and in the church. <clears throat> the Corinthian church was a confused church. I guess confused is probably the, the best way to say it. It was a chaotic church. It was a disunified church. It, it needed to be reminded of this foundational faith that, that would bring them all together for the right reason. And so look at what the Apostle Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15, just, just in the first two verses. He says, now I, I make known to you, brethren... Brethren is that term for those who know Jesus Christ, those who Paul had ministered to, those in the church in Corinth who were professing Jesus Christ as their Savior. I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, and by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You notice that the Apostle Paul says, I make known to you, and then he talks about the gospel. I make known to you the gospel, he says. In other words, it is the gospel that I preached to you when I first came to you. It is the gospel that you needed to hear more than anything else 
for you couldn't hear anything more important from me. It is the gospel that saves you by faith if your faith is not fake, if your faith is not a worthless faith, not in vain. It's not vanity. It's not just a whisper. Now we need to make note of that in our minds because this truth is essential in the mind of the Apostle Paul, and it is essential in the mind of the Apostle Paul because it is essential in the mind of God. This is the first thing that God wants us to know. It is the central reality of Easter, the gospel. If you want to understand Easter, then you need to look at the gospel. If you want to understand what this day is all about, then you have to think about the gospel. You cannot get through the resurrection and understand the resurrection and enjoy the resurrection and and really sense the depth of of majesty in the resurrection without going through the gospel. Let's mark that in our hearts and in our minds. Let us make no mistake about it as we sit here this day. Without the gospel, there is no Easter. All the candy sales and all the bunny sales and all the flower sales and all the clothing sales and all of that kind of stuff is all wonderful to look at and and may bring up sentimental things to us and memories of cute things and pretty things, but it has nothing to do with Easter because it has nothing to do with the gospel. The world has done a great job marketing foolishness. Without the gospel, Easter is meaningless. And so the pageantry of Easter, the beauty of the resurrection make no sense outside of the context of the gospel. So if we desire to understand Easter at all, and if we truly desire for others around us to understand Easter as we who claim to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we must begin and end with the gospel. This is where Paul begins. This is where Paul desires the Corinthian minds to be as they contemplate their own Christian lives. All of their thinking, all that's going on in their minds and all of the spiritual living that they're going to live must revolve around the gospel or it is meaningless. So that's where Paul begins. I want to make known to you the gospel. And then notice that Paul gives us what the essence of the gospel is. Notice what he says in verses 3 and 4. Right, I want to give you the gospel. I preached it to you. You received it. It's in what you stand. It's by what you've been saved if you hold fast to this. What is it, Paul? Well, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So the gospel, Paul says, is very logical. It's very logical in its beginning, and it is amazingly miraculous in its ending. Here is what Paul says. The things that I received, the things that I received, and he's speaking of receiving them from God, direct revelation from God, that which I received from God, these essential truths that have 
meaning to all of life, meaning for you in the spiritual life, and meaning for you in how to live out your life in the physical realm, these truths that have primary and preeminent importance for you, not only here, but into the future of all eternity, I brought them to you because there is nothing more important that I could tell you. I couldn't. It wouldn't be important for me to say, hey, listen, you had a, a massive amount of money placed in your bank account. Everything will go well now. It wouldn't be important for me to tell you that I've satisfied every life need you could ever want, and therefore life would be okay now. That's not important. None of those things are important. Those are all temporal. They may be nice, but they don't do anything in the spiritual realm. I delivered to you the first, most preeminent, primary important things of all of life, and that is the gospel. Well, what is it, Paul? What specifically is it? Notice what Paul says, number one. Christ died for our sins. This is what I need to tell you. Christ died for our sins. This is miraculous. It is miraculous, and yet, from a physical standpoint, at the same time, it doesn't sound all that strange. If you didn't know the name Christ, if you didn't ever hear of the name Jesus Christ, you might not think it's strange that someone die as a penalty for wrongs committed. You might not think it's strange that someone who did a crime was punished for the crime. Well, the scriptures tell us that the crime here is sin. Sin is the ultimate crime. And it is the ultimate crime because it is a crime against the ultimate one who is God, the creator. It is a crime against God. And the eternal punishment for crime against God, both physically and spiritually, is death. The reason that we die is because of sin, beloved. That's it. That's why we die. That's the cause of all of our deaths. No matter what physical ailment may lead you into that place, the reason we physically die is because of sin. So for someone to die for a crime of sin, that may not seem all that strange. Commit a crime... Punishment. Sin is crime. Sin deserves punishment. Doesn't seem all that strange. Doesn't even seem all that strange that someone might die in the place of another, right? Christ died for our sins. Christ is dying in the place of another. Even in our world, a good person might even die on behalf of someone else. Even in our own country, in our own history, we See men make the ultimate sacrifice of their own physical life in order to save the lives of others. I was just reading a report recently in the news where two ice climbers were out climbing a frozen waterfall and, and they start to hear, hear a crack and both of them uh, hear the crack of the thing above them and one pushes the other one out of the way only to be crushed by the falling ice, saving the other person. We hear about that. We read about that. We call those people heroes. We even honor them with memorials and medals. And so that is the first part of the gospel, this, this reality that someone died for a crime, the crime being sin. Someone died for our sin. Someone has taken the penalty for a crime against God, and that person who died did it in the place of others, so that they might not have to pay the penalty for the crime. So the first part of the gospel doesn't really sound all that strange. 
Paul says, here is one named Christ who died. How gracious, how heroic. And then Paul says in verse 4, and that he was buried, and that he was buried. Now the gospel begins to make even more sense. Right? When someone dies, it's natural for them to be buried. Burial naturally follows death. The one follows the other. We see this all the time, even in our own experience. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's a young person or an older person. No matter what brings those person to that place, whatever it is that brings death about, in some way and through some process, they are buried. It was the same here with Christ, Paul says. Nothing seems all that unusual. Nothing seems to be out of the ordinary. Someone commits a crime, they pay the penalty. That penalty is death, they die, they bury. Dead people get buried. So Paul says, I want you to hear the gospel. He says, in fact, there's nothing more important for you to hear. You couldn't hear anything else that's more important than these words. The gospel is that one who is called Christ died for your sin, and he was buried, meaning he actually died. It wasn't a myth. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't some kind of phantom. It wasn't that he was unconscious on the cross, and then they found out later that he became conscious, and therefore he disappeared. No, that's not it. He actually died. They buried him. A gracious act, but not crazy, not even to the natural mind for us to understand. And all of this is rooted in truth, Paul says. Paul says, I heard this from God. He said, the scriptures declare this same truth. He was delivered according to the scriptures. He died according to the scriptures. We could say it the way people say things in our day and age. This is gospel truth. You ever hear that? People say something to you, that's gospel truth. We know what that means. We means, oh, that must really be true. In other words, if truth, there's, there's truth that supposedly is truth that isn't really true. It's not gospel truth. That's how the world deals with things. But this is true. This is the gospel. This is from God himself. God cannot lie. And then notice that the gospel gets unusual. It gets, in fact, miraculous. Look at verse 4. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now this is miraculous. This is unusual. This, friends, is part of the gospel that we have never seen with our eyes. Our physical eyes have never seen this, but if you have not believed in vain, verse 2 says, if your faith is not in vain then you know this to be true. You know it to be actual. You know it to happen, to actually have happened. It is what makes your life of faith and what makes Easter so miraculous. The experience of our physical lives and the experience of the watching world is simply this. Man dies and man is buried. That's what we see on the physical realm. That's what we see in the world. Man dies and man is buried. But the gospel comes along, the truth of God comes along and declares with absolute certainty that while Christ died, while he took his last breath, all of those who believe in him 
While Christ was buried, because he truly died, the gospel tells us that Christ rose from the dead. He's alive. Can I just say something to all of us here this morning? Without the gospel, there is no Easter. I think you've heard that before. Without the gospel, we have no Easter. Without the complete gospel we have on Easter is nothing but Easter flowers, new outfits, pastel colors, smells and looks that look new. Without the gospel, all of that are only coverings. They're only disguises to cover up the smells of death. That's all it is. You know what Easter is to the world? It is one grand funeral. Because there is no resurrection for the world. It's just pretty things covering up the smell of spiritual death that is all around them. And so right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, with the desire for us to refocus our, ourselves we as, as professing believers on what really matters, Paul wants us to, to focus our attention there. Paul says what really matters is the reality of the re- resurrection. What really matters is the true issues of Easter, not the foolishness of the world. What really matters is the resurrection of Jesus Christ because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the gospel. Because the gospel isn't complete without the resurrection. You say, why? Because without the resurrection, all we have is eternal death. But we have. Just look over at verse 12 and following. Now, he says, if Christ is preached, that's what we do. Christ is preached. We preach Christ. Why do we preach Christ? Because Christ rose from the dead. If we're not preaching that Christ, we're preaching a different Christ. And that's not the Christ we ought to be preaching as professing believers. If we preach Christ, and if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, verse 12, how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead if Christ has been raised? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is in vain. Paul says, listen, we preach Christ. We preach a resurrected Lord. And if the resurrection isn't true, if you deny that and disregard it and remove it from the gospel, then all you have is a fake gospel that is falsifying God and falsifying truth, and no one has life. Your faith is in vain. It's foolish to believe that because our preaching is in vain. Paul says, listen, you're a a witness against God if you don't believe in the resurrection and you preach Christ. Because if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, verse 16. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, those who believed Christ but died already, they're not going to be raised from the dead if Christ hasn't been raised. So if we hope in Christ in this life only, then we of all men are most to be pitied. You know know what Paul would say to the world around us? Listen, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, then why are you celebrating Easter at all? 
It's just foolish. Without Easter, we are the most miserable people that would ever walk the face of this planet. And so Paul says, I want to make known to you the gospel. And his entire theme of this whole chapter in chapter 15 is the resurrection of Christ. His entire theme of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is Easter. If we just read through this chapter, uh, we could almost close in prayer and say that's enough. I mean, he mentions raised or resurrection in this chapter in the 58 verses 25 plus times. I mean, it's, it's almost every second sentence out of the mouth of Paul he talks about and refers to the resurrection. Why? Because it's central to the gospel. Easter is all about the resurrection. That sounds rather moronic to even say it that way. And yet it seems as if Easter is celebrated if there isn't a resurrection. If Christ is not alive, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, if that which is so unnatural for us to understand did not happen, then there's no point to Easter. And so in Christ, those who are true Christians have been overwhelmingly blessed. Those who know Jesus Christ, those who have believed in him unto salvation have been overwhelmingly blessed because of Christ. And since we have genuine faith in him through the gospel, I, I want us to see just what those blessings are. So with 1 Corinthians 15 in our mind, I want us to turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Now we're going through Ephesians 1 in our evening times here at Fellowship Bible Church. It's a wonderful study that we've been having. We've, we've uh, gotten just off the, the diving board, if you will, into this passage. But I want us to spend our time here because I want us to show, I want to show us who are believers in Jesus Christ, I want to show us eight blessings that we have because of Easter. Eight blessings that we have because of Easter. Eight blessings that come from God because of the gospel. And these only come to those who truly believe. So if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, these are not for you. You don't have these. Much as you might like to think you do, if you do not know Jesus Christ, these are only for believers. It is our plea this morning that you would come to know Christ, that you would believe the resurrection, that you would believe Jesus Christ, that you would believe that Christ died for sinners like you. And so we plead with you, we beg with you, believe upon Jesus Christ. And if you do, all these are yours. But if you do not, there's only one thing waiting for you, and that is an eternal hell under the wrath of God. But here Paul lists for the believers in Ephesus, these blessings from God because of the gospel. And I just want to walk through these because I think in hopes that our, that if we, we know Christ by faith, we'll be encouraged. And in hopes that those who don't know Christ may come to faith in Christ. Let's begin to look at these. Number one, we have spiritual completeness, Paul says, blessed Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That is spiritual completeness. 
You know Jesus Christ, you have spiritual completeness. I want us to understand Paul is not speaking about material things. He's not saying that God will supply every material thing that you ever had or you ever desired as opposed to immaterial things, those things you don't have or didn't desire. No, what Paul is referring to here is the source. He is pointing back to the source of all that we need and all that we have, and that is Christ. In Christ, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He is the source. And I think even as believers, we need to be reminded of that often because at times we find ourselves asking God for things that he has already given us spiritually. We do this even as Christians in our prayer life. Sometimes we ask God for help. Help us to to have more love, we say. Not necessarily wrong to to go to God and 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 want to do things for God that we know we ought to be doing. God says we ought to be loving one another. And so sometimes say, God, give me more love so that I can love. And yet Romans 5 tells us that his love has already been poured out within our hearts through his spirit. We already have his love. We don't need more of his love. He is love. What we need is to exercise the love that we have. Sometimes we ask God for spiritual strength. And yet his word tells us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. He doesn't mean that you can lift weights you never could lift before just because you have Christ. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about spiritual life. Right? We have the spiritual strength through Christ. What we need to do is exercise that spiritual faith strength. Sometimes we ask God for peace. And yet Christ told the disciples, as we read this morning, that he has given us his peace. We have the peace of God. We have the peace of Christ. We just need to exercise resting in it. So every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies is ours already. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, we have all things that we need for life and for godliness. So the first blessing that we have through Easter, through the gospel, is spiritual completeness. The second blessing we have from Easter is God electing us to salvation. Verse 4 says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I hope we understand that there are several different kinds of election described in Scripture. God elected Israel as his special people. That had nothing to do with eternal salvation. God elects some to be a do a special vocational duty. Right? The Levites were elected to be God's priests. But the most important election described in Scripture is the election of God unto salvation. That's the kind of election that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 1. We were chosen in Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 44, None can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So the idea is that from God alone comes his elective and irresistible will that draws a sinner to himself so that they will desire him. 
And he did that notice before the foundation of the world, before ever creating any part of his creation. So from all eternity, before the foundation of the world, and therefore completely and independent of any merit on any person, no matter what they think they may have before God, by their living out their life, God elects in Christ those whom he would sovereignly save, and he did it before he ever created anything. So each and every Christian who truly believes upon Jesus Christ and has salvation in Christ alone are a child by faith. And they know that it was because of the blessing of God's election that they know him by faith. God's election is centered in the resurrection. Blessing number three of Easter. We have holiness and blamelessness before God. We might even call this the outcome of Easter, right? Verse 4, the purpose that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world so that we would be holy, that we should be holy and blameless before him. The blameless one, Jesus Christ, gave himself for you and I, the blameless or the blameable, I should say. But one of the blessings of Easter as Christians is that you have Christ's blamelessness, Christ's holiness as your own possession. But you and I who were unworthy before God because we were blamable and unholy have been made holy and blameless before God because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ. That Colossians chapter 2 verse 10 says those or we, that is those who believe by faith, have been made complete. Full completion. So the reality of Easter has sealed that for all who believe. They are complete in Christ. The guilty stand before the judge, and they stand guilty. And yet, here we are, the guilty who stand before the judge without guilt. Why? Because we have been made blameless by the guiltless one. We have spiritual completeness. We have election. We have blamelessness and holiness. Number four, we have been made sons, it says. We have been made sons. Verse five, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. There's several adopted children in my extended family. It's always been a wonderful thing for us to celebrate their lives coming into our family and being a full-fledged part of our family, even though they are not blood. It would be wonderful enough to be a guest in a home of, of one who might be a king. If you were to go to a foreign land and you were happened to, to be invited into the home of the king, it would be a wonderful thing to be there. But it's a whole other thing to be a son, to be a relative. And in the gospel, through the miraculous accomplishment of resurrection, through the accomplishment of what God accomplished that we celebrate on Easter, God had predetermined that all of those who believe upon his son would not be guests, but would be family. And therefore, all of the privileges and all of the rights as a child of God are ours because of God's expression of love 
toward us in His Son through the gospel. So His love was shown in Easter. Blessing number five, verse seven says, we have redemption in Him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. Redemption by one simple definition is just to buy back. You redeem something, you buy it back. Ever since the fall of man, every human being enters the world as a slave to sin. That's how we're born. We are born in sin. Jesus said in John 8, verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. All of us are born that way. The Apostle Paul reminds all of us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there is none righteous, not even one. Chapter 7, verse 14, he says, we are all in bondage to sin. So we are born slaves to another master. The master is called sin. It is the owner of us, and it demands a price for our freedom. And what is the price? Death. Death is the price. And God, through Christ, God in the flesh, paid the price for our freedom. Because of the gospel, all who believe have redemption. We have been freed from the slave owner of sin. We have been freed from the penalty of sin. And then Paul says, number six, notice that we have forgiveness. In him we have redemption, verse seven, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. This this is part of what is contained in redemption. Then the glorious buying back from the slave owner of sin within redemption, the result of redemption is forgiveness of our sin. In other words, a putting it away, a wiping it away, all of the blessings that we have, this is the sweetest of those that we have in Christ, is it not? Listen to what the Word of God says about the sin of those who are forgiven. Psalm 103, verse 12 their sins are removed from them as far as the east is from the west. When God redeems and He forgives, our sins are no more. They are removed as far as the east from the west. We have wrong thinking, beloved, as Christians, if we think that God somehow in His holiness still holds the penalty of sin against us in any way. It was finished in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Forgiveness in Christ through the gospel. Yes, it is undeserved, and yet it is complete. It is full. Redemption is full, and because of Easter, we are blessed. Notice there's another outcome of redemption here. The seventh blessing. Notice verses 9 and 10. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration that's suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven, and things on the earth. This is the blessing of our of understanding. 
the blessing of understanding. Because of Easter, because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, because he has risen from the dead, we know we now understand life and death. We understand God and man. We understand heaven and hell. We understand sin and righteousness. We wouldn't have an understanding of any of that had Christ not come. We understand life, and in Christ, we have the wherewithal to handle anything that comes our way as God allows it by his providential care. Not only does God forgive us our sins, but he blesses those who believe with an ability to understand him and to carry out this life on earth the way that honors him. We follow his word. We do what he says. Right? We submit to him. Easter has blessed us with spiritual completeness. It has blessed us with election, with blamelessness before God, with adoption. We are children of God. We have redemption and forgiveness and understanding. Number eight, we have the blessing of hope. He says in verse 12 to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. We have hope. One of the most beautiful truths of believing the gospel of Jesus Christ is the fact that faith in Christ gives us hope. We have hope. First comes faith, then hope. Without faith, there's no hope. What is the foundation of our hope? Verses, notice verse 15 and following. For this reason I, having heard of your faith, of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. I don't cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. What? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of his strength, of his might, which he brought about, notice, in Christ, when? When he raised him from the dead. See, we have hope in Jesus Christ. We have hope in God. We have hope in a resurrection. Why? Because of the resurrection. Because God in Christ, when before the foundation of the world, he set forth a plan to redeem a people for himself and then put that in action. And his son came and died an undeserving death for sinners like us that we have gathered in all of these blessings because he rose from the dead. He accomplished what he came to do. Every believer in Jesus Christ has all of these blessings because of Easter. He raised him from the dead, verse 20 says, and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. You see, without Easter, without the resurrection, none of these things are valid. But God guarantees all of these through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without Easter, we have no hope. Without Easter, we have no understanding. We look at life, we try to figure it out, but we really can't figure it out. We know death is coming, but we can't figure out how to, how to get past that. 
It's only a fearful moment in our life. We try to avoid, we try to prolong it in every way we can because we're fearful of that very moment. And the reason we're fearful of that moment is because somewhere inside of us, God has put in us the reality that he actually does exist and we are going to face him. And so we want to avoid it with all our being. Why? Because we've rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've rejected Easter. We've rejected the resurrection. We have no hope. And we have no understanding. And we have no forgiveness. We have no redemption. We we don't know adoption as sons of God. We're not blameless before God. We, we, We don't understand anything about election of God. All we know is that judgment is coming. So we try to hide it with pretty colors and smelling flowers and bright lights. And the death march is still towards the grave. Why? Because without Easter, there's no spiritual blessing in Christ. So Paul, Paul couldn't be any more adamant on the truth. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Christ didn't rise from the dead. The resurrection didn't happen. If it's all just an illusion, then this is all just a big game and a big joke. But we know that's not true. Without Easter, you have no gospel. Because right in the center of the gospel is the resurrection. Let me just just finish our time with the words of the Apostle Paul in chapter 2. Notice what he says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Remember, he's talking to believers. He's talking to those who know Jesus Christ. He's reminding them of what God has accomplished for them. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. That's who you were. Why? Because that's how all of us are prior to knowing Jesus Christ. You might be here today and you're, you don't know Christ. You haven't believed in Christ. The resurrection was just a, a, a talked about moment. It's this holiday that everybody celebrates called Easter Sunday. But you, you really don't know what it's about. But here's what it's about. It's about Jesus Christ. And you don't understand it because you're dead in your sin. You're still owned by the slave owner. But here's what can happen. Notice verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, speaking to believers, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. He says, by grace you have been saved. Listen, if you believe upon Jesus Christ, it's not because of works you did. It's not because of what you have done. It's because God wooed you to himself and he granted you the eyes to open and he made you alive with Christ and you believed You were saved by grace. Because it's by grace that you've been saved, verse 8, through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works. Why? Because if it was a result of works, we'd all go, hey, how did you get here? Well, you know, I was a self-made guy. I did my own thing. I was a pretty good person. I was very giving. I I gave my money away. I helped people. I I, I helped those young ladies across the street. I saved a cat out of the tree. I mean, I did all those good things. I didn't kill anybody. That's why I'm here. Why are you here? Well, I did this and I did this. 
But none of us can boast because none of us got there on our own. It wasn't a result of our works. It wasn't anything we did. It wasn't our supposed sainthood that got us there. No, we are his workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, if you're sitting here this morning, you know Jesus Christ. You know Jesus Christ because you believe the resurrection. You believe the resurrection because God wooed you to himself and he gave you faith. He redeemed you from the slave owner in Christ. And he saved you by his grace and mercy. And so it is our plea this morning that anybody here who doesn't know Christ, that you know Christ. Because you're sitting here saying to yourself, I can see clearly. And we are saying to you, you're as blind as a blind man. You don't see And so we say to you, believe upon Jesus Christ, repent of your sin, and come to know Christ as your Savior. For if you do not, you do not know the resurrection, and you have never known the resurrection. For we preach Christ crucified. To some it's a stumbling block, and to others it's foolishness, but to those who believe it is the wisdom of God unto salvation. Won't you believe today? Let's pray. Father, let your word move upon the hearts of your people. May it accomplish all that you set forth for it to do in us. For those who believe upon Jesus Christ, may it be an encouragement that they live for Christ each and every day. And for those among us who do not know Christ by faith, that you would open their eyes, cause them to see their sin, repent, turn from it, and embrace Jesus Christ. This is the day of resurrection. May they be made alive this day. All to your glory, all to the praise of the one who rose from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray.